All right. So um, this is Ray. Uh, Chris Cummins is here. Chris, say hi. Hello. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Uh, Colleen, his wife, is also here. Hi. Hello, Colleen. Hello. And um, so, so Chris and Colleen uh, basically became early retirees at 40 and 43, Colleen being the 40 and Chris being the 43. Chris and I worked together at Bank of America back in the early 2000s. Uh, he was a firewall guy, a security architect for about 15 years. Colleen um, did environmental compliance for, I guess, smaller airports and uh, around the country um, and has a master's in geoenvironmental science. So in 2016, they made the decision to, um, that they were going to quit their jobs. And, I, and if I get this right, they hatched a seven-year plan to do that. Um, but then due to some medical problems with Chris and Colleen's father's health, they decided to pull the trigger early. Uh, and they both uh, became, uh, let's say, retired in 2015. Uh, they were living in Denver at the time, sold the house, put everything in a storage, a 5 by 10 storage container, drove to Mexico with a couple of dogs, spent, their, uh, spent the next year there. Uh, and then after that, traveled around Europe, uh, northeastern U.S., up into Nova Scotia and Canada. The Northwest skiing, um, and I wound up back in the East for some period of time. Uh, Colleen's dad and grandmother, uh, grandmother mm -hmm. both passed away in 2018. Um, they uh, bounced over to, I think, Madrid in 2020 early and got picked out and by COVID and wound up back in the U.S. Um, and moved out to Oregon, where they are living now and will be leaving there and moving to Charlotte in a couple of months. Uh, so that's the start. Um, so I guess I'll kick it off with, uh, we'll start with Colleen, like Colleen, like how, how did you guys, how did you guys decide that it was time, you know, to make a plan to, to, to retire and quit your jobs? Wait, can I just, I'm sorry. Can I just interrupt? I just want to get the timing right. So you hatched the seven year plan in 2009 then to retire in 2016. No, no, we were, we, we started talking about it in 2015. Uh, a seven-year plan and then due to some medical my dad getting getting sick and some health concerns with chris our seven-year plan turned into we're done now and that so, was 2016. it oh, turned into okay. a three-year and then yeah. finally a one year and then she came home and i had quit my job so <laughs> it just slowly as we had this idea as it got as we continue to think about it, it became, how can we make this happen sooner and sooner and sooner? So we got kind of excited about it. And, and it basically started our discussion in 2015 was, I think we were both just becoming just disenfranchised with our jobs. What are we doing? This isn't where we, you know, planned our lives to be. Um, we don't need to, you know, we don't need these corporate American jobs that earn all this, earn money to live the lives that, we want to live and be happy. So that's, that was really our discussion of how can we start reducing and doing things that fulfill our lives, our hearts, our souls, um, and not just work 50 hour weeks to earn money and not get to do the stuff we truly love. So you guys are awesome. Obviously you got a ton of courage to do that. I want to know who has bigger balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but seriously, so you were not um, making like LeBron money or Messi money, not making, you know, seven, eight figures 
per year. These yeah. were these were well, you know, well-paying jobs. Uh, you guys worked your way up, I assume, after you know, good college education, good jobs, but but nothing like extraordinary lottery winner type money, right? No, let, let me let me let me pause you real quick. And we're people who talk about everything very openly, so that we don't have to be vague about it. So right now, if I pull the app up, we're just below 1.3 million. The way it happened is, as we said, what do we need to live off of? Put a budget together, the 4% rule kind of deal, and just started trying to work towards that. Um, and so once we got kind of close, I'm like, oh, screw it, let's just do it. So we pulled the trigger. Uh, also, I don't have uh, much of an education, so I don't have much of a college education at all. So, um, but so the jobs were, I mean, I made like 150, 160 when I left, and she was about 110. And then, so it wasn't great money, but it was enough. And we don't have kids is the other big secret. So, yeah. So I have a lot of questions. Um, do you do any type of work now to generate income or is it all living off of your, your, um, the, the money you've already saved? Can we? The answer is yes. Do we? The answer is no. We have not. And, uh, this is our seventh year and we have not done any work. And, and I, I don't think, um, our lifestyle now means that we are, we consider it better not to spend money. We don't want to consume things. Uh, we don't make any impulse purchases. We're much more mindful. And that's more of a way of how we want to live our lives and the kind of people we want to be. And so by doing that, we think, hey, we're living a better life and shit, we can retire and we don't buy a bunch of stupid tchotchkes and other weird things now. So, um, yeah, I think we, we kind of feel better about it. So what do you do on a regular basis to pass the time? I mean, if you're not working, you're moving a lot. So are you just going places and just checking places out and going to the next place or what's a typical so day for the first so let's do pre-covid <laughs> um those first four years were spent uh we did it here in mexico in 2017 and during that year we were going back and forth to help my to see my dad and family and do some stuff there and then we did a lot of just you know traveling it was i i said i was a planner and my my job when we first retired was planning where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to help people that need, you know, family, friends, whatever. And we just moved around and our time was fulfilled by experiencing new things, helping people out, um, being outside. And now it, it's amazing how full your days get. And we try to figure out how we fit everything in when we were working 40 hour weeks. But <laughs> I mean, I think we, we read a lot. We do Spanish. We have a dog that gets a lot of exercise. Um, we exercise. Uh, like for Ironmans and marathons? I would say running. We don't do Ironman anymore. But it, it, being healthy, I don't know, we've had volunteer gigs, you know, in Oregon. We were once and twice a week. Bake uh, my own bread. Like our cooking is something that actually takes up a lot of our time as far as the kind of food that we eat and uh, where we get our food from. Uh, so, um, spent a lot of time on that. Yeah, I study Spanish every day. We, we both tried to, I tried to learn piano, but you know, some things yeah. stick and some, some things don't. <laughs> you know, Chris has a guitar. He messes with every now and again. I can juggle and I did break my toe trying to learn the unicycle. So I sold that. So we picked up some. <laughs> Credit to you for trying, Chris. That's pretty good. Oh uh, uh, yeah. I, I believe we were on a call with you at Ray's. I don't know, three or four years ago. Ray, do you remember that? 
very briefly. March, March 2020, during the that was the first early retirement summit where we were all on the table, and Ed was playing X Wing in the other room with the boys because he wants nothing to do with retiring. So I, I have a question. If I remember correctly, you guys had somewhere between 1.3 and 1.6 million at that time. So that was three years ago. Um, Correct. Was it 1.3 or 1.6? So we retired at about 1.1 at the height because it is a lot of S&P 500 as the height our net worth was just below 16158 or so and currently it's at 129. So the fluctuations happen quite a bit just because of the market movement. Um, so if you ask me, I've got a little app and I push the button and it gives me a number, but um, it doesn't change how we live or what we do. So it's just the number out there. That's just amazing though that in three years your net worth is roughly the same and you're not working. You're not, other than, you know, the... Um I'm assuming you still have your money in funds. S&P 500 is about 85% right now. Um, but like I said, um, um, we retired with 1.1 almost seven years ago and it's at one three. So we've been retired for seven and now going up by almost 200. So, yeah. but if you're that, like two years ago, it was at one six and we're like, wow, we've been retired and now we're worth a, an extra half a million dollars. So it's pretty exciting, mm. but that, <laughs> that's the drive. That's awesome. Colleen, I, I have a question for you guys. Uh, first, uh, my condolences on the passing of your uh, dad and your grandmother in 2018. I'm sorry to hear for your loss for your, you and your family. Uh, but I'm very interested in, in hearing more about the, uh, you made a couple statements, you know, how we're going to help people and the volunteer gigs that you guys have been part of. Tell us a little more about that. Uh, so, you know, in Mexico, we, I found when we were living there, a uh, dog shelter I'd go to and walk dogs every week. And then Chris and I together volunteered at a children's orphanage um, we found that kind of fortunately towards the end of our stay there um, we were going out and doing kind of just we didn't necessarily work with the kids but we were just doing things around the orphanage um, to help them out um, in and then in Oregon uh, we found a, a farm sanctuary that we go out to every week and kind of help feed the animals and double poop um, and do that and then we also were helping out in an organic vegetable farm in the summers uh yeah so i think part of our retirement was like i said to give back so we we try to find things you know one one or two days a week that we do that stuff whether it's with animals or our local farm or whatever it may be i think we have goals now that we're settled and not traveling like we were to do more of that you know i think we're getting to a point in our lives where we've been retired for so many years and we've seen a lot and done a lot and now we found volunteer gigs and now we're like want to do more of it so that's and, great to hear they almost you, you almost need to settle down a little bit in order to commit to a volunteer correct, right? especially correct. to be able to, to dedicate some time and make sure they can schedule you and make sure that's part of it so especially right. like an animal yeah. sanctuary getting into that that schedule right. was big so yeah. So what, I, what does settle down mean? Are, are you guys in a, in a McMansion, in a van, a tree sitting, uh, a hostel? Ha, ha, tell us about that. Well, renting a very, uh, what a regular house in Bend, Oregon right now, you know, where we've been for two years. Um, we're in Sisters, Oregon the year before that in a rental. And we're moving back east in actually like three weeks, May 3rd. So we're... You know, yeah, we're just going to live in a, a 1,200 square foot, whatever, whatever, you know, condo, apartment, home that takes us and a dog 
a rental and and that's settling down meaning just finding our community again we we thought when we moved to oregon that oregon was going to be it but we decided that it's not we love it but it's not our home for us so we're going to go back east and one other odd thing to mention here and we're trying to um I don't know what the, uh, I guess I don't want to say it like to, to lose some maturity here, but you know, you, you, you moved out of your parents' house and you had like a crappy apartment and then maybe you had a, something a little bigger and then you graduate to a house and that's like where you want to be in America. And we're trying to kind of go backward and go, no, we want to do shared walls because that's better to live in, better for the environment, better for a lot of different things. But we also have a mindset that we need to live in a house. And so we're trying to wrap our head around doing what's the best place to live and look at it differently. And it's really more challenging than we thought. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll see where we get in Charlotte. But um, our goal is to do the right thing, I guess. My my favorite saying to Chris is, I'm not going to live in Mud Hut. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never say never. You never know. <laughs> so how about a yurt or an earthship? Is that also off limits for you guys? No, earthship would be, would be great. We actually looked at those a while ago. Did you uh, did your travels take you through Taos, New Mexico? Uh, no, we've talked about it. I personally been there for work when I was working, but no, Chris and I have not been there. I have studied all the in the construction and got really into it, and then my wife was pretty much like, "No, well, we're not doing that one." It was it was pretty funny, Chris when I came home from work one day, oh, yeah. and Chris said something about the Earth ship, and you're gonna have to bleep me out. I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> Colleen, hey, you, you guys got to stay in one once. They're in, absolutely incredible. You've been in one? Yeah, absolutely incredible. It totally reminds me of Star Wars and you hope a Luke Skywalker was living there with his aunt and uncle. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I have a, a really important question because you guys mentioned that you train, you were doing triathlons and run. Um, so you're still just running and do you compete? You have plenty of time. Uh, we don't do. We actually were doing triathlons when we got to Colorado, um, but we were we both run. Chris is mostly running for fun. I sign up for races, and say I'm not competing, and I start competing. Um, but we both mountain bike. I road bike. I'm a big yoga yogi. Uh, what else do we do? Bike a lot. Ski a lot. Ski a lot. So with all that, Bend is kind of the place to be. Why? Why do you guys get the sense that it's not? Uh, it's not home. Uh, widest place in America. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. There's, there's not a lot of diversity in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. It is. And it's all the forest fires. We we realize we're not fire hardy people. It's it's the fires in the summer are pretty terrifying. In our, our three years, each summer we spend about two weeks of not going outdoors. The air quality gets above uh, 300, 400, 500 oh. air quality. Wow. Uh, whatever. Uh, so it gets to the point where it's not safe or healthy to go outside. You definitely can't work out. You can't run. Um, and it, it is almost apocalyptic when you're walking outside and you can't. The sun is blacked out by smoke. It's, it's weird. We, we, I'm pretty sure we've taken five years off both of our lives yeah. living in that and the smoke and everything. Yeah. Chris, how about that uh, June 2005 canyoneering adventure uh, we were on with Ray? Do you remember that? Did that have anything to uh, <laughs> to do with your kind of reinventing yourself? Uh, I mean, a little bit. Again, I grew up uh, yeah, not remember having it. a lot. <laughs> it's all right, man. Uh, I grew up not having a lot of outdoor experience. And so uh, having those opportunities weren't even there. So I can say 
I don't even know if I'd ever gone camping before at that point, or if I had, it was very minimal. So that did lead to, that was a great trip, had a great time and I wanted more of it. Um, and then, then after meeting my wife, who is much more outdoorsy than I am, um, we just, I guess I evolved that way, I guess. So, but that definitely, uh, uh, help me see how much fun it was. So, I think one of the amazing things is that a million dollars isn't that much money these days. So to retire off of that and not even have to work for seven years and still have more and thrive, it's yeah, that's, um, that's maybe elaborate because we did get a question from one of the listeners. Uh, you mentioned a four percent rule. Can you elaborate on that and how that uh, plays into the million dollars that Gary's asking about? Yeah, sure. Um, and if you, you Google 4% rule, it's probably a much better definition. But what it comes down to is is um, the average return on the S&P 500 with dividend is 10%. What they've come up with a long time ago was the safe thing is if you can live off 4% of your net worth, whatever money you have out there, um, that'll last. It's supposed to be a 30-year rule, but it's actually it will last forever. So, um, so what they say is just take your money, figure out what your budget is. As long as that 4% kind of matches up, it's your annual expenses. Um, that should work. And so um, we kind of went backwards from that, and that was getting our budget down and then kind of understanding where that number and what that number was because our budget would dictate that. So you, you guys didn't actually put on paper. You We had our budget. We were living off of it, um, and that's why we felt comfortable enough because we actually had – we were living in Denver on the budget that we thought we were going to have to do going forward, and we both were very comfortable. We were enjoying ourselves. We weren't giving things up. And so we said, hey, this is a lifestyle I can do especially if I don't have to work. And uh, so we pulled the trigger. Yeah. So you guys live fairly lean. You know, I mean, if you're an American and all you hang out with is a bunch of Americans, sure, we live pretty lean. If you go anywhere else in the world, we live high on the hog. I mean, we, we spend a lot. We go out to eat. We only eat organic food. Um, we have a four-bedroom house with two bathrooms. I mean, so if you really look at it, no, we don't live lean at all. But compared to our friends with 8,000 square foot houses, yeah, we live lean. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah, I, think, I think it's making, like Chris said, is when we were both working and we didn't have a retirement plan, if we saw a pair of shoes or we saw a jacket or a shirt, we just bought it, right? We didn't think about it because we were earning enough money and we didn't have debt that it didn't matter. And now it's more like, do we need the seventh pair of shoes? <laughs> you the know answer is I mean? always yes. <laughs> so yeah. now, now that you have time, you're you're you could say that you're you're comfortable with that average because it's been what four, seven, six years, yep. right? Is that the average that you you're comfortable with, or you feel that 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 was off? 4%. The four percent. Uh, I'll answer secondly. Wife, go ahead. Um. I think 90% of the time I'm comfortable with it. And then, you know, you, I have more of a problem than Chris does with this. Someone wants to do something that is, is outside our, our budget range. Right. And then I'm like, shit, <laughs> you know, uh, I want to do that. And really it's a little more money than we should spend. So I, and I think it's also, we hang out with people that are all still working and all spend money indiscriminately. So when we're around people that that don't earn a lot and do regular people things, I we, we don't have any issue with you know how we live. Just that you know, there are those times when good friends of ours are doing something and I'm like, ah oh, man, 
really wish we could do that. So that's kind of interesting. That was, that was one of my questions was when you made the leap to, to retire and you're kind of living a, a different, uh, better, more fulfilling lifestyle, did you meet other people doing the same thing? Is there kind of a community uh, out there uh, that you've been engaged with as part of the process here? For us, not really. Uh, only a few, but we have had great conversations with other people who like to be there, and we have a lot of our friends uh, going there or get, trying to go there. So um, I don't know that we've found those communities mainly because of how we live and how we move. Yeah, so I, I think we found traveling. If we met people that early retired, like we were really young, 40, 43, but we didn't, we didn't have children. They were maybe in their 50s and retired, but they were also um, cardiologists or, you know what I mean? They mm -hmm. early retired, but they had career paths that earned them way more money than Chris and I earned. So we, we really haven't met anyone that I, that's been in, that's in our shoes, like you said, that has the amount of money that we have. And, and feel comfortable with it. And can I back up for just one second and answer that question? Uh, do I feel comfortable that, that I we picked the right number? The reason my wife has to periodically say I'm not going to live in a mud hut <laughs> is because I always believe we should be improving and doing better. And at some point she realizes that I'm going to ask, can we live in a mud hut? And so she's, <laughs> she's cutting that off now. So I'm always <laughs> Colleen, just, just, just think of how well insulated, how quiet, <laughs> how warm in the... Uh, in the winter, yeah, I, cool in the summer. <laughs> Add some mud to it. I like I like a lot of windows. <laughs> probably window. do that. <laughs> Chris, I have a question for you. I know uh, Colleen was explaining pre-COVID, you guys were living in Mexico and sometimes uh, visiting her dad. You had mentioned earlier that you're from Mississippi. Uh, during the different travels that you guys were uh, talking about, have you been able to keep in contact with your family? Are they still in that area in Mississippi? Um, I don't have a lot of family. I really have a mother and a sister and I don't really speak to anyone in my family. Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah. Dad somewhere. I don't talk to him. Never have. So I've got a lot of family, um, that I don't speak to. I don't have a lot of closeness with my family. So, and to be honest with you, I don't really, uh, my grandmother passed away a while back and I said, Hey, I never have to go to Mississippi again. And I kind of vowed not to. And my mother's in Alabama. When she passes, I'll probably vow never to enter Alabama again. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So that's where we are. There. And his sister and Chris, I mean, I'll speak, you, you, you yeah. speak to your sister. She's just in Chicago yeah. and different lives. So it's not that we don't see her, but it's not very. Now, because you mentioned uh, family and, and at the starting, you mentioned, you know, you guys were both professionals, but didn't give a lot of um substance on where the origin of thought came for early retirement was that something that you saw from friends family where did that the initial idea come that it was a possibility and that you wanted to do that i don't know where i got or how i got there but i'm gonna just i hate to give him props but uh mr money mustache was uh probably one of the first sites that at least gave me the the basics of that this is possible how you could do it. Probably the first time I read the 4% rule was on that site. So uh, he might've been the first one. Um, and maybe there was a couple of others, but he was the first one to put it all together. And I thought, Hey, this is an interesting. And from there, I continued to find others. So we haven't found people doing what we're doing or actually met them, but I got a lot of blogs that I found when we first retired or before we retired that helped show me the way. But you, just the fact that you were reading Mr. Money Mustache, thinking about it. So John's question is, 
go back a step. So, so not to get into too much detail, but Chris had a pretty scary uh, medical issue. Um, Actually, Paul, I was diagnosed incorrectly with stage four cancer. Oh, um, wow. Hey, we're dying. And so we had about a month or two before we figured that out, that we had a lot of different thoughts about what we we're about to do with our lives. And so coming from there, I think we uh, opened up the possibilities and that's probably how it started. Um, and then once that got ironed out a little bit, so it's not quite that serious, I do have some medical issues, but they're not life threatening. Now we thought, yeah, we've kind of had some different thoughts and maybe that kind of triggered it to where now we, don't think it's that far fetched. Thank you for sharing that fact because that puts it into context. That's a that's and, a and big factor. You, Colleen, was, was it you know kind of piggybacking on that that issue, or had you contemplated uh, early retirement before that? No, I never even thought that was even a remote possibility. <laughs> um, so I think it was. You go it was from thinking it's not even possible to. Uh, then a seven-year plan, which became a three-year plan, which eventually became tomorrow, let's do it. What, what was that first day like when you, you know, okay, you're done with the job, it, we've done it, here we go? What, that day must have been incredible. I, I literally, I worked a mile from our house in Denver, so I walked or biked to work every day. I literally skipped home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> although I, I was in a career for 17 years at three different companies, I never land. I I was an environmental science teacher, and I landed in a career path that I did not. I I wanted to be like helping the world, right? And somehow I got in a career path that I didn't do that. And so for 17 years, I was always going, "What am I doing?" And so when, when this, and then with Chris's medical scare in 2012, and we really were like, you could die at any moment, or any of us can. So that's really when we started going, okay, thinking then, but not thinking we could early retire. But that's when we moved out west, right after that. And and then another issue happened with Chris that, that then made that seven year, that was a three year, turn into a, we're quitting. Um, yeah, it was exhilarating feeling is and what it was. That is, being, that is you being the real trigger, right? Like the, the execution trigger, right? Um, it, it, Yeah, but it was kind of an excuse, I guess. So it was it was a trigger, but it was also like we're looking for, looking for. I'm trying to find a reason, and then I'm like, screw it. This is a reason. And so I was able to pull the trigger. So, yeah, some in more terms, justification. In terms of healthcare costs, what do you guys do without an employer coverage? Do you guys have your own plans that you do for medical, dental, vision plans? How do you guys cover that? I'm guessing it's free. Okay, it is free. So, um, and this is, it gets even more complex with our finances. So we pull each year exactly um, how much money we make. So we pull, you know, we have capital gains, long-term capital gains we're actually pulling out. And then for me, we're doing a Roth conversion and probably not the time to get into this. So at the end of the year, I make sure that we as a married couple stay below $48,000 of actual earned income so that our healthcare.gov is totally subsidized. Now, our insurance is not the greatest, but we do have what would I consider to be emergency medical. And in Oregon, it's actually halfway decent. And in North Carolina, it's going to be really good. So we're actually surprised with what we're getting for that. But we do have to control our income to ensure that that would work or else that might trigger one of us going to get a job that has some insurance. So that is a that is a concern to somebody. So just, so just to be clear, when you say you control your income, it's selling part of your 1.3 stocks yes. to have money to buy food and pay 
but I've got a couple ones, a bond fund and one's the S&P 500. And so if the, I've got 50% gains in the S&P, I'd have to sell the bond. So I have to just kind of sell things and, and just control how our income looks on taxes each year. So, so you're, yeah. you're not, you're not taking uh, like a dividend check every month. You're selling, you're reinvesting dividends automatically and then selling actual shares when you need money. Uh, on the stuff on the on the four hundred one k side or on the IRA side, the stuff is actually in the retirement piece of it. It's all drip there, and it just gets reinvested. On the other side, which is not those um, those uh, dividends that get paid out, do just go into a cash right there. And so maybe that month when I have to sell to pay rent and pay the credit card off, that month because it's paid out quarterly on the S P five hundred. So four times a year, I don't have to move as much money right. to sell for that. Right. So yeah, pretty simple. So from from that day, uh, Colleen, you were skipping home. I can I can just see it. I'm picturing the street in Denver, and I'm I'm sure it's the wrong street. There's there's many, and I can't, but um, since that day, what's been? Have there been any times when you either of you have thought, "Oh my God, what the heck did we just do?" And I imagine that might have been in the early going because you've been successful at it for seven years now. No, no. I mean, never. We, <laughs> These guys are we, awesome. It <laughs> is. Huh? We left. We quit. I quit December thirtieth of twenty sixteen. Chris had been done in October, and then we sold our house. We went to Durango for New Year's, and then we came back and we loaded our dogs and ourselves in our old Forerunner, and drove from Denver, Colorado, to Tulum, Mexico with neither of us speaking Spanish. That might have been the only time I was like, holy shit, what are we doing? <laughs> and, and that being said, um, so that's, she quits at the end of December. There's a women's march, I think, January 14th, this or show in, uh, in Denver. And by January, set on the road driving to Tulum, a 40-hour drive from Denver to Tulum, Mexico, all the way to Mexico. Yeah. So this was this was on my list of questions. It was just a curiosity. Why why did you guys pick uh, Spanish speaking countries? I know you also went to Spain. Is there some type of thing you wanted to learn Spanish, or what what uh, lured you to Mexico? Yes, we wanted Spanish, and it was a fort, it was it was affordable, um, and we could drive there, right? Dogs. And we had our dogs, so we had two dogs when we. 2017. So everything we did revolved where where can we go with our dogs? Um, and 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 we were looking like it was a fort. It was cheap, right? We we found a place in Tulum for two months of rent for fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, fifteen hundred a month or something or fourteen. Yeah. So it was just really affordable to live. So, um, and maybe that's why we didn't have that oh shit what did we do moment as far as money because we lived in Mexico the first year and living there was way more affordable than the United States. Can you elaborate on any laws that if as an American, you wanted to go live in, in Mexico, is there, there's a certain time constraint or there visas or there applications? What, how do you do that? Mexico and Canada are both very easy. You, as an American citizen, you get six months in there and you literally just have to cross the border and come back and you get six more months. Now, you can go through a process to get a longer term temporary, like a five year visa or something. But for us, we were traveling back to the U.S. for her father anyway, definitely every six months. So for us, every time we entered the country, it just reset. So it's really, really simple. But if you stay there a little bit longer, you just have to work around the six months. And we met people in San Miguel de Allende 
about a nine-hour drive, they would just go drive back to Texas, whatever, spend the night, and drive back, and now they're set for six months. So it's, it's pretty simple. And, and real quick to end that, is there um, the possibility of an American to buy um, a house or land in Mexico without being a permanent resident? Yes, and it's actually very easy. They make it easy because they want that investment. Um, we didn't even look at buying at that time, so, and, and it was many years ago, so I don't remember the detail of it. But we did meet many people who own property there. And I remember that we're driving back and forth in the six months. Yeah, we actually rented from an American uh, there. That's where we live. So it is allowed. Yep. yep. So all the places that you guys went to in your travels, what would be at the top of the list that you guys would recommend for someone to uh, definitely a spot that uh, you have to visit and travel to? Ljubljana. In uh, Slovenia, one of our favorite places. Wow, I've yeah, that out. I haven't heard that. Yeah. That was not on my radar. We all got at least a fifty percent shot of pointing out that country on a map. <laughs> Mine's so, less than fifty percent. Oh, sure. Come on. <laughs> uh, you have the Schengen zone in Europe, and you can only spend ninety out of one hundred and eighty days. But we did. We're not you know, people who want to go spend a couple of days here and keep moving. So at one point, we stayed in Rotterdam for a month. We stayed in Kotor, Montenegro, for three weeks. So we would go sit in odd spots and. Uh, as we traveled Europe, we wouldn't even book the night before sometimes and just, hey, where's the bus score? Where does the train go? Let's go figure it out. So um, as we bounced around, we ended up spending a week in Ljubljana, Slovenia, um, and also Croatia, Dubrovnik, all kind yeah. of weird spots over there. But that's one of the few towns we pulled into and we got off the train or bus or whatever it was and started walking to our Airbnb. And within about a day, we both looked and went, I could live here. Well, and we just hadn't said that before. It was just an amazing place. Did and, you have and, dogs with you uh, when you're in Europe as well? No. No, we had, so we had, we lost our oldest dog right when we were leaving Mexico. Um, and then we didn't lose her. She died. Right? <laughs> um, no, that's funny. Just lose her in Mexico. Um, and then our other dog we had unexpectedly died in February. Yeah, and then that allowed us, that was what, when we lost our dog, um, then we were like, well, now we can go to Europe. So that's where they got the, the acronym, what is it, Dink, Dinkob? Dual income. No, they, they retired. They, they, they used to be Dinkwads. Dinkwads, that's what, that's yeah. what it was. But, you know, now they're Zinkwads, I guess, right? <laughs> no, they have no AD. They have no dogs. Uh, Zinkwads. Wads. Wads. Oh, without dog. It's a work in progress, right? All right, yeah. All right, other question for you guys. So uh, before, while you're still working, 2015, 2016 timeframe, you're each spending, I guess, somewhere between 30 and 50 hours at work apart. And then when retirement comes, all of a sudden, it's uh, it's uh, it's all Chris all the time, all day, and all Colleen all day. How did that go? Was that a transition or was that just complete it, marital it, bliss? It, no. It, you know, it, it was fine. The first four years of us traveling, it was fine. Most of the time when, when there became a problem was when we came back from Madrid because of COVID and we moved to sisters, Oregon, where we didn't know anybody, but a handful of people, uh, and it was COVID in a town of 2000 people. And we had to be together all the time. That was, that was where I think our heads butted for the first time. Right? We really were like, Oh my God. <laughs> Four years is a good run. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, how long were you guys married before you retired? Uh, we well, we started dating in 20, 2007 and we got married in two thousand and ten. So, oh, wow. so nine years together. Before. Yeah. Yeah. So, from your yep. experience with the early retirement and traveling around, what life lessons would you pass on to some of our uh, younger viewers and listeners? And older. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Next week on Attic Static, we will have. Right for you. Sorry. Sorry if it didn't come across well. I, I will. I will say that I. And this sounds cliche, but I think all the things that when I was working and just I would describe myself as a busybody. Um. You, you just, you work, you do one thing, you do the next thing, the next thing, you're constantly moving, right? And I think in these last years, I've just realized that slowing down and being happy where I am and us experiencing something and not always worried about moving to the next spot. And when Chris said, we're people who travel slow, that was him because I was the one that was like, okay, gotta see the next thing, gotta see the next thing, gotta see the next thing. And I've, I've really learned and appreciated to just be, I, I think, like, sit with myself and go through all the emotions. I don't know. There's so much, there's so much going on there. Yeah. So <laughs> but it, when you say slowing down, it, that does not imply uh, doing less or paying less attention. It sounds like going deeper into something and looking at the same thing from different perspectives, taking your time to fully absorb it and learn what it has to teach. Yeah. 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 And I believe we were in Nova Scotia when I said, honey, we now have to have a three night minimum wherever we go. My wife would love to get there, see what she had to see, <laughs> then wake up, do the, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to wake up tomorrow morning, slowly drink my coffee, start our day off slowly. And we'll just go hang out in the town and see what we have to see. And we'll slowly experience this. So we implemented that three night rule. And I think it, I think both of us really appreciated that change. And so once we did that, it was like we realized that not jumping to every next thing, actually sitting there and meeting somebody and having an odd conversation with somebody in a bakery was just as important and enjoyable as seeing the next world's biggest ball of yarn. And so <laughs> those experiences were different now. And so that really became very enjoyable. When you meet uh, different people as you travel, I mean, obviously the first thing out of your mouth is not, hey, look at us, we retired young. But at some point in a discussion or if you've struck up a friendship, um, that might uh, come out. I'm sure it has come out. What kind of feedback do you get? Is it more admiration or is it like, well, you guys got lucky somehow, uh, resentment? What, what kind of, um, I'm going to go with resentment. How do people act towards you? Most people aren't happy when other people are happy. I, I think it's more admiration. Oh. I think people are, are like, whoa. And then they start asking us a lot of questions. And it, and it depends on how well we know the people. Like I said, I'm perfectly fine giving out all of our numbers. Um, if you ask me a direct question, I answer directly. And if I meet somebody who just thinks we have a bazillion dollars and doesn't ask, and they're not, and they just want to believe stuff, I don't, I might not share all the information, but if they actually ask, they'll go, oh, wow, wow, and they'll figure it out. But we do have some friends who just who might say all the time, well, you're rich, and I don't correct them, but yeah, it's just their perspective. So, but most people um, are excited by what we're doing, and at least I would think admire or go, wow, I wish I could do that. 
but they don't think they can. Or, or they think we're, they don't understand how we're, we can fulfill our days. And we've actually had several friends now that have retired or like not as early as us, but early. And Julie is an example. And she was so afraid and she did it and she, she got, she's built up her own consulting job and she realized she, she's like, Colleen, I, I'm so busy. I don't, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm doing all these things I've never done. I don't need to work. So she was well, she worried sounds like about she's working for herself, correct? But not anymore. She stopped. She yeah. kind oh. of thought she, and then she's just not doing it. Right. She's doing all the other things. <laughs> yeah. I think if you need to work to occupy yourself or to keep busy, you're not, you're not paying attention or you're, you're not creative enough or something, something, something else is wrong. Um, what yeah. about your, your, your friends, like from, I don't know if you're in touch with anyone from grammar school, middle school or high school, but what are their uh, opinions? Uh, I, I have several friends that I think, I, I think one of them I would say is just like, I don't know. He, he's just so busy in his own career. He owns his own business. Um, they talk about retiring, but I think he's just a workaholic. And I don't, I think they, they, they appreciate what we do. They admire that we can travel and do all this stuff. Um, yeah, I think they would like to, if they can, but they both have kids, right? I think that's the excuse we hear from friends, especially friends I've had for a long time. It's like, well, we just can't cause we have kids. Yeah. It, and it's always an excuse, right? Because I think most of the humans now are living on less than 500 bucks a year. So you, you can do it. It's a matter of lifestyle, right? And what, I think what makes you guys special is that you're, you, you did it super young. You have an awesome lifestyle. You're not missing anything. You're getting more of what you want to be doing and more of what you like. So, you know, I, I think we're kind of unanimous here, all fist bumping you guys and uh, pretty congratulatory and, uh, you know, in admiration. Uh, me personally, mostly for your courage and actually taking the step and doing it. I, th I think it's pretty admirable in terms of what you guys shared about um, helping people to dog shelter the children's orphanage. It's very consistent with what we've uh, been talking about here in our own episode on financial stability about it, not just being about us with financial stability. One of our guests who was retired had mentioned how she volunteers. Another guest that we had on here, he passed on the life lesson to younger viewers and other viewers that it's not just all about us. So it's nice to hear that consistent theme that you guys brought to the table in discussion today. And so, with so, all your accumulated wisdom, um, what's the meaning of life? It's so easy. I don't know why you asked such an easy question. Yeah, we, you know, we, we wrap up with something real lighthearted. <laughs> I, I think to give back. I, I just believe it's like to help not just humans, but animals, and we're all on this planet together. At one point, we had this conversation about, you know, we kind of worked for 28 years, and it was 20 years of taking is what I consider work. And I thought, well, now we can do 20 years of giving, and then we can retire, right? And so we kind of even it out a little bit. Um, and so that was kind of a mindset. And so we do think it's very important, but, but the bigger part of, of it is, is not even in that, that out there kind of thinking it's important. Once you start doing it, you really enjoy, it. you become a better person. I mean, it's wonderful. So you may have to talk yourself into it or think about it a little bit, but once you start doing it, you realize how wonderful it is. And there is no, like, you don't have to convince yourself to do more of it. You really want to do more. You go, Hey, this is really fulfilling. I feel better about myself. I'm giving back. It's just a win-win-win-win all the way around. So yeah. So we we have five five minutes left. If if we could just use that same string that you guys are doing now, sort of giving a summary. If you could just each take 
you know, maybe two and a half minutes each and just say, hey, these are the things that I think everyone should know about this experience. If it wasn't asked, you know, sort of um, let's end with each of you giving a little bit of a, an end summary of, of, of what you think everyone should know if we didn't ask it. If I can back up and answer or answer a question I didn't finish answering, I take 30 seconds. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the other thing is for people that I know from grammar school or when I was young, I find that many people don't ask the details so they can believe what they want to believe so that they don't have to do it or they don't have to think it's possible. So wow. a lot of people <laughs> Be careful what you ask for type of thing. <laughs> got it. Go, oh, Chris retired early, but they've never asked any details. And so in their mind, oh, he must have been this. He must. They can think whatever they want, and it makes it easier for them. So of the few people who ask us the question and get the details, that's a different uh, – they have a different perspective as opposed to those who don't want to know because I get my scarum or something. So um, anyway, that's how most of my friends are. They didn't ask. They don't want to know. They're scared to know. So <laughs> That's interesting. You go first. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just think if you're going to, if you're retiring with the mindset that Chris and I retired with, wasn't to retire and spend all the money, right? And do all the things, but it was, it was a mindset of a more fulfilling life. Uh, I think it just, you'll, you'll find yourself get ready for a little bit of a roller coaster ride and you are going to go through emotions. I mean, I, I definitely had, you know, you, you know, health, you know, people get sick, animals die. Um, but then you're also traveling and you, you go through this range of emotions. I think that when you're working full time and you're living the life and you have kids and you're going to soccer practice and I think get ready to have like a lot of effective moments. Um, and I didn't have those uh, a lot when I was busy. Um, so I think, I think that takeaway is just like, just be ready to, Go through some internal shit, which is good, right? To sit with yourself and, and learn about yourself. And I, I like to say I'm, I'm going on 47 this year. I think it took me when I hit 45, I'm like, I know who I am. I can, like, be honest when I talk to people. I know what gets me upset. I know what I like. But it's crazy to think it took me that long to get there. And I think had I still been working, I wouldn't be where I am today. I mm. wouldn't have those. I wouldn't have had time for that introspection moments and and giving back and doing all that other stuff so well don't, don't be so hard on yourself either i think there's plenty of people who never get that to that point mm -hmm. yeah very true i know it, it makes me sad now that i know <laughs> chris and mine is simple you asked earlier what the meaning of life is and uh i don't believe it's a knowable thing and i think it's different for each person all that wonderful stuff but it's kind of like when you're trying to solve a problem when you know you're on the wrong path, you don't go, well, I, I don't know the answer, so I'm going to keep going down this wrong path. And so I think for us is what we did is, is we went, hey, I don't think working in corporate America is the right path. I'm not going to figure out my solution, you know, my, my life and what fulfills me. And so I'm not ever, there isn't an answer. So I can't keep thinking about it while going down that path and working. And so once we got to a spot where we could try a different path, we're going to try that path. And I think we're open and communicate well enough now is where um, if that's not the right path, then we go, Okay, let's pivot. And so we just keep doing that until we pick up pieces that like the volunteering. That's the right path. And as you pick up those little pieces, that's how I guess we're developing our life is by trying new things and those things that work and are fulfilling and don't take from other people and don't hurt the environment or, you know, all those things. And we were 
vegan for a year and a half. We keep going down a path, and if it works, it's great. Uh, and we just try to do the next right thing. And so um, as we do that, I think this progression has been really wonderful. And both of us have changed kind of who we are um, in very positive ways because of us being open to just trying new different things and taking not the not what society wants or what's cool and what, you know, we don't do social media. We don't do a lot of that stuff because we just want to go experience life and do what we think is correct. Um, and that's a challenge sometimes when you get way involved in society and other things. So we kind of, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a good to follow up on Chris is just like, be ready for change and who you are, what you do, and then don't be afraid of that change and also keep wanting to change because we grow as people and, and don't, and don't go, Oh oh no, I went down a wrong path. Go, Oh, I learned something here and then change from that if you need to, or keep it right. Constant and never ending improvement Um, and and being perfectly fine with failure because that is the only way forward. You can't learn without it. And so it's not a, it's failure is not that same definition. Everybody else has is that you failed. It's that you learned something and now you can go forward in a better path. Thank you awesome. so much for sharing that. That's that, that was part of one of my questions about like, the mental wellness. You know, I, it, it just seemed that you guys um, have sort of reached a point where because other people are working and have so many different things they have to do, they can't really gain that that perspective. And at least that's something that I've taken out of this. Uh, I see that in you guys. And that's uh, something to be applauded. Thank you for sharing. Awesome. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, so, um, so I think it's going to be a wrap. Um, we did ignore a whole bunch of other stuff that we could have talked about. So I think there's going to be a prequel version uh, of this interview in the future. Of Chris's crazy um, life. Of Chris's, yeah. Chris's hey. life. Yeah, let's do it from North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we are going to be in North Carolina in June, right? For or May? When your June tenth is so June tenth is Chris's big five zero party Woo. and. Uh, since we probably have the time, we'll go down there for it. Awesome. Um, yeah, we're all good to go. We just need to crank the AC in here, and we'll be good. <laughs> Ed and I are sweating turn bullets in here, right? Yeah, it's a little toasty. It's a little toasty for me. Those lights. Steve, turn the AC on. Yeah, we apologize for any of the awesome waves you guys may have missed in order to take the time yeah, to have this conversation with us. So thank you for uh, taking the time and enjoy the waves. We're actually not surfing waves. We're actually going to, no one's, who's done this? It's sand dunes. We're at the sand dunes. We're at the sand dunes and we've got a sand board. And we're about to Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, be careful. Don't go over five miles an hour on those. If you figure out how to go more than five miles an hour, let me know. Is that like a paddle board, a sand board? No, no. It's on, you're on sand, sand dunes. You're you're basically surfing down sand sand dunes. dunes. Oh, I think it looks. Like I don't think snowboard. you do that in Jersey. Yeah, it's like a snowboard. Yeah, yeah. kind of like the size of a snowboard. Except we have boards and we have wax. So yeah, we'll ah, lots of wax. Okay, well, enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Attic Static podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe, and feel free to leave a comment below, or come check us out at our website at attictaticpod.com, and stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.